have a really interesting guest with me this morning. He is, uh, he's my friend and neighbor, but he's a, a guy who's been on the national scene for a while, not only as a trainer, but as a police chief. And he just recently retired from an international airport where uh, he worked his way up from rookie to chief. And I am just fascinated by that whole process of policing an international airport. So I thought you'd like to learn more about that too. John Ivanoff, welcome to the program. Thank you, Betsy, appreciate you having me. So you literally worked your way up from a really young rookie cop to the chief of public safety at the Tucson International Airport. How did all that happen? Well, I started with the Tucson Police Department, um, worked there for about a year and enjoyed the work, enjoyed the, the job, but um, the department and I were not going in the same direction as far as what my thought was on police work and what how they were operating. Um, the, the position opened up with the Tucson Airport Authority. They have their own law enforcement agency. And uh, a lot of people don't know that a law enforcement agency exists at, at an airport and why that is. And I'll get into that a little bit later if you'd like. But the main idea is, is they hired me on as a, as a rookie and I, I started uh, off undercover actually, because it's such a small environment working at an airport, everybody knows the, the police officers. So they put me in plain clothes and I did a lot of patrol work in plain clothes, learned the, learned the geography of the airport, made some good arrests, uh, you know, a couple of cocaine arrests and some marijuana arrests and so on. And then moved onward um, through patrol to corporal, uh, got onto the tactical team that the airport authority had, uh, worked my way up to sergeant, uh, both as a tactical sergeant as well as a patrol sergeant. And uh, eventually 9-11 uh, happened. And when 9-11 happened, our department got bigger. Uh, it had to get bigger fast. Um, they needed a lieutenant to help with all the administrative duties in the, the department. Um, the Tucson Airport Authority Police Department's accredited through CLIA. And uh, so I had to oversee the CLIA process as well as all the other administrative functions. I then moved on to the operations captain's position and uh, acting chief and then became the chief uh, after that. And, and eventually uh, they felt I was doing a good enough job, I guess, as the chief of police that they wanted me to be in charge of both uh, police and fire for the airport authority. So. And so that was kind of my my quick glance at, at how I blasted through the. It took way longer than that in reality. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So I spend a lot of time in airports, traveling all around the country, actually traveling around the world. And um, one of the things I've noticed is when an airport has its own police department, as opposed to an airport where the local uh, police department or sheriff's department polices that airport. I see a lot of differences. What, what kind of differences um, does that make when the airport itself has its own police and fire department like you do? Well, I'm a strong believer in the, in the airport authority uh, model, which is the airport, the airport itself hires its own police force. It takes special legislation to have that happen. Um, most agencies that are, that are at an airport uh, that our airport authorities have to get this legislation that says, yes, you can have your own, almost like private police department. Um, doesn't happen all the time. Some of the air airport authorities are run by a city, but it's not the city police that goes there. So the, the main difference to me is as far as an airport authority goes is we have actual buy-in. This is our airport. This is our, this is our jurisdiction. It's our 
um, company that we work for or our our municipality that we work for that runs this airport. So we have a lot of buy-in. Now, that being said, city, county, local, airport authorities, any of those models, they all have a chance to do the same job and do it well. The I think the difference is, what is the expectation from the community? What's the expectation of the chief and the, the airport operator, whoever's running that airport? And, and also, I think a, there's a big part of it that is, the buy-in from the officers on what you believe they should be doing for your jurisdiction. Some cases that the Transportation Security Administration, the TSA, which has nothing to do with the airport police at all, is it, they dictate how the airport officers can respond to those checkpoints, right? So in some cases you have a fixed checkpoint where there's a police officer standing there. In other airports, you have what's called a flexible response where the, the officer can respond from anywhere in the airport, but they have to be there and they have to be available you know, in an immediate vicinity to be able to help out in case there's a problem at that checkpoint. So what you're gonna see is there's different models all over the place. It's how they're executed that in my opinion makes or breaks the department. You know, you have to have a chief and the, the officers who really truly believe that, that their role there is so critical. If we make a mistake at an airport, it affects everybody in the world. You know, if, we, if there's a shooting at an airport, everybody in the world knows about it. If there's a shooting on the street, nobody knows about it other than the local newspaper. So, you know, my officers were very clear on that. And that's the, that's the kind of the difference that you're going to see is that it's the buy-in as much as it is, whether it's a municipality or, or county department or, or a, an airport authority, it really doesn't matter. What matters the most is, is how they're, how they're being tutored and mentored into protecting the public that comes through millions of people a year, you know, that go through that airport. Well, and that's the thing you're not dealing with. You're dealing partially with people you see every day, mostly employees, um, frequent travelers, things like that. But primarily you're dealing with millions and millions of strangers that right. may only encounter your officers one time in their whole lives. Right. Right. And I think the, the critical path of that is when a, when a civilian or a citizen flies into an airport, sometimes we're the only person that they see from that airport representing that airport, whether it's Tucson or Chicago or wherever. We're the, we're the one in uniform that they look at. And, and if we don't look like we need to look, and if we're not behaving the way we need to behave, they're going to come into our, our city thinking, well, these people don't have, have themselves together. They don't know what they're doing or they don't care or, or what have you. That's why it's so critical that messaging from the top towards the, towards the patrol unit is so critical. It's just, it's really, really important. Now, as airport uh, police officers, um, your people dealt with everything from, like you said, drug dealing and drug possession to domestic disputes and emotionally disturbed persons. And I'm going to guess you even had some animal control issues. Plus, you're talking, you know, we're a, a border, um, a border city almost, if you will, Tucson. So, uh, you know, you're dealing with the border patrol and you're dealing with ICE and customs and all of that. It's a lot to organize and deal with, isn't it? It is, it's a, it's a huge amount, you know, you're, so at my airport, you know, we were dealing with about 3 million passengers a year. So that's 3 million people that are coming through those very, that very small airport. Um, and they're, we're, we're looking at them, right? Um, 
just mathematics alone on, on the criminal element, a percentage of them are going to be criminals. And that percentage that's there, we're going to end up running into many of them. And we have to decide um, and determine whether or not we're going to do, we're going to be able to do anything about it, right? Whether we have all the probable cause, all the things that any other police officer has to deal with, we have to deal with it as well. But the difference is the other 95% of those people are watching us. We're we're very close before all of the scrutiny and law enforcement that's happened in the in the last couple of years. We've been that way since day one because you know we were in a baggage claim area where where we were we were seizing roughly one hundred twenty five thousand dollars off of two drug dealers. It was at Christmas time. The drug dealers had guns in their bags. Guns were drawn. People were put on the ground, and there were two hundred fifty people standing there watching us do that. And there's no room for error, right? There is no room for, you know, having your weapon pointed in the wrong direction or letting those, the bad guys get a, get a shot off there. It, there was just no room for that. So those are the kinds of things that you deal with in an airport law enforcement capacity that people have no idea about. And the, we don't want them to have an idea about that, right? We want them to travel safely. We want them to have confidence that, that when they come in and they go out, that they know exactly what they're going to deal with, which is I'm going to go through a screening checkpoint run by the TSA, not by the airport police as a reminder. And they're going to, they're going to get on a plane and they're going to leave and they're going to arrive and see their loved ones, or they're going to arrive for business or whatever it is. And they won't even notice that we're doing what we're doing. And, and so that's what makes it different, right? Um, that scrutiny was huge for us. We, um, at my airport, we, we were very cognizant of customer relations, what we needed to do to make people comfortable around us. Um, we, to be an airport police officer, you have to have excellent um, uh, skill in talking to people. You have to be able to talk to anybody and under any circumstance. So yes, what you said is exactly right. We, we deal with emotionally disturbed people. We've dealt with fatalities on the roadway. We've dealt with, with aircraft accidents, fatalities. We, you know, and then you start moving towards your regular stuff, domestic disputes. And something to think about, there's a lot of custodial disputes, right? People are getting ready to fly out of the, the state with a, with a child. Um, one of our first felony stops that I conducted at the airport involved a, a lady who is taking her daughter away from the husband and the husband was driving out there with a shotgun to to kill her and so that stuff happens right and so we that's why we're there on the on the out outermost part um we have to be at an airport law enforcement has to be at any airport at any commercial airport by federal law it, it's it's a requirement um we have to be able to support the checkpoints we have to stop air piracy that's that's why you see airport law enforcement, it, it, it's, it's a federal, um, code of federal, federal regulations uh, by the FAA and the TSA that we have to be there. So, um, but to go along with that, there's the, there's the entire element of law enforcement that takes place. It's like a little city. Right, and do, do, your, do your people ever have to board an airplane when it comes in or before it leaves, things like that? How does, where does your jurisdiction um, begin and end? So if, it, it depends on what the criminal act is. If it's air piracy, it's the FBI. Um, it's uh, the, the Department of Justice, FBI, uh, Department of Homeland Security. It all depends on where where the event happens. If it's like a an air piracy, terrorism type of a thing, it, it we will become the local law enforcement enforcing those state laws that 
that deal with terrorism, but but the federal guys are the ones who are going to take over if it was something like that. But we would get called frequently to disturbances on an aircraft. Well, the federal people don't care about that. It's it's our issue. It's a, it's a disorderly conduct issue. It could be an assault. It could be somebody exposing themselves to somebody else on an airplane. We've had all of that, right? So you're what what we would do then is you go on the airplane and you start dealing with the problem. Um, I can tell you from experience, fighting on an airplane, wrestling around with somebody on an airplane is no fun at all because you know you're already kind of wide in your in your uniform and in your gun belt and everything else, and you you don't want to hurt anybody else on the airplane by getting pushed on top of somebody or or what have you. So we always tried to to make sure that the plane was was the people were sequestered away from the bad guy as much as we could make it um, before we dealt with them. We'd try to always get them off the plane if we could. Um, but yeah, we've had people who are getting ready to fly out and they've had an episode and they've um, we need to take them off. And uh, there are people who are flying in who have been behaving in an inappropriate way. And the other thing about that, and it's interesting, is jurisdiction, right? Because if they commit the crime flying over New Mexico before they land in Tucson, jurisdiction becomes very complex. So you have someone who's maybe exposed themselves to somebody in Texas. Um, they land in Tucson. We place them under arrest, and then it's a it's a rather drawn out situation to to get prosecutable um, to get a prosecution for that type of crime. Wow! And and one of the things that your people have to deal with, and and I want you to speak to this both as a as a chief and as a trainer. You know, we hear so much about de-escalation, de-escalation. That's a huge issue for an airport cop, isn't it? It is, and for the reasons I stated, there's so many people around that could be an innocent victim. Um, you know, you obviously have that if you go to a mall, if you go to a, a university campus, any of those places where there's where large crowds gather on purpose. Um, but but de-escalation is huge, and it, it's huge for a num number of reasons. To me, it was always the most important thing is it's the right thing to do. Um, using force is a, is a huge responsibility for us in law enforcement and it, and, and we, we have the right and the ability and the training to escalate it as far as we need to, but sometimes we don't need to, and sometimes we shouldn't. And so to take it to the step where it needs to go, which is to just talk to people, you know, find out what's going on. And I'm not saying to, to, to place yourself in jeopardy and to place your partner or your, the public in jeopardy, but there are times when just the simple question of what's going on, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What, what's the matter? And the, it starts the dialogue, right? And, and as the dialogue progresses, it allows us to deescalate and, uh, and to get them into, away from the people at least. So if there is a fight or if there is some type of an issue that, that that eventually resurfaces, we have the ability to have them away from the people who can get hurt. Because remember, our, our primary focus, our, we, we have to remember, our goal is to protect all those other people around us, those innocent people who have no, no ability to protect themselves, who have nothing to do with this. It's our job to protect them. Absolutely. Now, John, you were, uh, you were a working cop on 9-11-01, and we're coming up on the 20th anniversary. Um, when you think back 20 years ago on that day, what do you think about when you when you when you ponder what happened on 9-11 here in the United States? Well, I I think like many people that are patriotic at heart, it, it hurt. You know, it, it hurt us. It, it they struck a blow. Um, we we wanted to 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 never have that happen again. I was the shift supervisor. Um, 6:30 in the morning, we're getting ready to start our shift, and um, 
and back then we all had pagers, right? There was very few cell phones. Our cell phones look completely different than they do now. And um, our pagers started going off and it was our respective spouses and friends calling us saying, hey, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. So we, we turned the TV on just as the second one hit. And, um, and we looked at each other and we all said, everything's changing now. Um, the, the world of, of airport policing is changing. The, 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 our world generally in, in law enforcement has changed. Um, people are gonna be scared now and we have to do something about that. So we set about um, fixing our airport, shoring up all of the, the cracks in the armor that we had. Uh, we spent a couple of days doing that and we were actually one of the top, I'm wanting to say the top five or six airports in the country that were ready to fly when the FAA uh, took off the flight restriction. The TSA didn't exist back then, obviously that was, that was something that was formed later, but we, um, we anticipated and knew that there were things that they were gonna require for credentialing and screening and so on. And uh, I remember the, a couple of days after 9-11, it was uh, the 14th, uh, the, the early morning, and uh, the first flight crew went out and they went out on an empty plane because their plane didn't belong here. It, it was supposed to go somewhere else. They got diverted to Tucson and they landed. And, and I remember the pilot coming and giving me a hug um, and saying, thank you, right? And so I think that, you know, not to digress too much, but my, you know, to my law enforcement brothers and sisters out there, you, you have to understand that, that the, the angst that you feel from the public is cyclical, right? It, it, it comes and it goes. Sometimes they don't like us and sometimes they do. In my 30 plus years of law enforcement, I've seen it where they don't appreciate us one bit and the next minute they want us around all the time. And so it, it's gonna happen again. We're gonna be wanted again. Unfortunately, usually it takes a horrific event for, event for that to occur. But, you know, 9-11 itself was, um, you know, we, we, we evacuated the terminal for the first time in the history of that airport. The entire terminal was evacuated, got everybody out, set up a command post and ran that command post straight for two and a half days until we were ready to start again. Um, and, it, and like I said, everything changed. Absolutely. Including airport policing, obviously. Um, so you were a police, uh, you were a trainer while you were with the, the uh, um, airport authority. You're, all, you're still a trainer now. When you look at police training in this country in the era of, are we defunding the police? Are we trying to defend the police? When you look at police training right now, what do you think our biggest issues are? Frankly, I think our biggest issue is leadership. Um, I think our leaders need to be trained better. I think our leaders need to be more um, direct and, and clear to not only the, their people and let them know that their people matter, um, because it, frankly, you cannot do the job without, without your people. Uh, they're way more important than you are as a chief. They are, they are the most important people in your department are those patrol officers, those sergeants that are out there every day, all shift long. So I think the, the leadership is, they, they, need to, they need to kind of look at themselves a little bit. They need to stop, they need to stop going by the, the political line and the company line of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say what I think needs to be said. They need to say what should be said. Um, you know, when these events happen and you see them on video and you see a 15 second take of a, of a two minute call um, and you comment on it, why are you doing that? You know, why are you condemning your people without knowing what really happened? And, and sometimes the officers need to be condemned 
and but it'll come out you know that's what i've what i've always found whenever i've had complaints about my officers is i i would never ever tell the person who was making that complaint that that they were right what i would tell them is that i would look at it and i do my absolute very best to to, to find the truth and to give it back to them you know, um, we were dealing with the media. We, we were horrible as leaders at dealing with the media. We, we don't, we don't say, we don't say what needs to be said and we don't present ourselves. Well, we present ourselves as if we're, we're either defensive or we're antagonistic, or we're, we're trying to jump on the mayor's lap and, and say what the mayor wants us to say, or the, the city council or, the, the county board of supervisors, whoever it is, right? So one of the things that I always made it very clear whenever I was working with the media is I had a message I, and I said what needed to be said, said. but the, the patrol officers are trained. They're, they know what to do. I think the, the, one of the issues that we have is that they're being trained more and more often by younger and younger trainers. And so when I went through my field training with the Tucson Police Department, that I think the, the least amount of experience my trainer had was 12 years. And nowadays it's different. Nowadays you can be a field training officer with only a few years under your belt. And that that's, you know, these are young people training young people. So sometimes you miss those experience points that would come by those anecdotes that, that would help me get through a call. You don't have that anymore because the field trainer hasn't experienced it yet himself. So, or herself. So I, I think that that's, those are our two, in my opinion, biggest training um, gaps, leadership and field training needs to be, you know, really, they need to really look at it. What are, how are we training these young people to do the job to survive, not physically, but emotionally and, and over a long marathon of a career, you know, you need to be trained to do that. Chief John Ivanov, we can't thank you enough for spending time with us this morning. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention. What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer? Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me. You know, last time I would have saw my wife, my kids. I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. One, call 911 and give the officer's exact location. Two, ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. Three, if the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.